Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Aging Younger with David and Stephanie Tippy, founders of the Anti-Aging Clinic in Waterhill, Florida, where the alternatives matter. Now here are your hosts, David and Stephanie Tippy. Welcome to our listeners. This is Stephanie Tippy broadcasting live from Aging Younger Anti-Aging Clinic in Tamarack, Florida. My husband David and I can be reached at 954-742-4430 and you can visit us online at agingyounger.net. Well, tonight's guest uh, with me is a gentleman that is quite extraordinary and this is an interview that I would, I am really very glad to be able to bring to the airway because there is so much silence that surrounds domestic violence and child abuse in America today. It's deafening. I know that I hear every other day about a child being left in a, a, a car and suffocating two, three years old or, or children being left to Uh, walk around their pool unattended and found drowning. So joining me this evening is a gentleman by the name of Tom North, and he is the author of the book, True North, The Shocking Story About Yours, Mine, and Ours. Now, maybe I, I will be dating myself a bit because I remember the movie Yours, Mine, and Ours because one of my favorite actresses played um, his mother uh, in the movie, and that was Lucille Ball. But after reviewing his book, it was nothing that was portrayed in the movie because the movie was hysterical. But that being said, I'm going to bring Tom in uh, and introduce him to our audience. Tom North, welcome to Aging Younger Radio. Thank you, Stephanie. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. Well, uh, it's a pleasure to have you here because uh, I believe you're going to bring a lot of uh, unforeseen and unknown awareness to the public uh, about the topic that we will eventually delve into. You have a very interesting story. I started reading your book, and I intend to finish it because I, I like your, your style of writing, by the way. That's a compliment. Thank you. You're very welcome. And uh, it's amazing how you, you have such vivid childhood memories from the age of three. You know, that's an interesting point you raised there. And when we writers get into a zone, it's remarkable what can be accessed from the memory. Well, we're about the same circa, and I could relate to a lot of what I was reading in your first few chapters when you were a young boy. So that's one of the reasons why I enjoyed it. But let me ask you this. Can you explain to us, Tom, what prompted you to write this book? Well, yes, uh, that's actually a great place to start. Uh, In the book, I write about the the fact that uh, I have uh, 19 brothers and sisters. and, uh, And what happened is that during the late 1980s, there was a, a time when I took the entire family through family therapy, and it was really an epic experience. And in subsequent family or in subsequent conversations, when people would ask me, well, how similar was the film, Yours, Mine, and Ours, to the actual experience of the family, if it was appropriate, I would share with them the real story. And the real story was is that it, there was a lot of domestic violence and child abuse in the house. And when I would finish with that, people would say, oh, that's a book. You have to write a book. And I would say, oh, absolutely not. But I waited for about 20 years for someone to write this book, which I really felt needed to be written and the story needed to be told. And I realized that the only person who was going to write that book was going to be me. So in 2008, I sat down to write the book. 
and uh, the the response from readers has been overwhelming. It has helped a lot of people. It continues to help people, and I'm very happy that I uh, made that effort. Well, I'm glad you did too, because again, it is a very inspirational book. So maybe we can start this interview a little bit about the inspirational story. Uh, that you have to share of hope and survival. And maybe we can begin a little bit with the early part and how it came to be yours, mine, and ours, because that was very interesting with your dad and your mom. That would be great. That, that's a little backstory will be helpful for your listeners. So the story begins in 1960 when my father, Richard North, was a Navy aviator, and he was killed flying experimental aircraft for the United States Navy, and he uh, left my mother with eight children. So there she was, 30 years old, with eight children and no husband. And so she moved to California to the San Francisco Bay Area where she had family who could provide some sort of a support group for her, And she met a man named Frank Beardsley. And Frank Beardsley was a widower with 10 children. His wife had died after the birth of their 10th child of adult onset diabetes. And so they got married. So when we add 10 and 8 together, that equals ridiculous. But that's what they did. And they had two more children shortly thereafter. Well, the story of the merger of these two large families was in the newspapers across the country. It was a human interest story. And Lucille Ball saw this story in the papers. And so she called my mother and stepfather and told them that she wanted to make a movie about the merger of these two big families. This was the early 1960s, and it was the time of television sitcoms, featuring white suburban families like Leave It to Beaver and Ozzie and Harriet and, uh, you know, the Donna Reed show. You can probably contribute a couple of those titles yourself. Oh, I remember them well, and I remember the movie, Yours, Mine, and Ours, and, and that's why when your publicist approached Aging Younger Radio, I was very uh, happy to have you join us because it was it was a great story. And then reading about you and delving into the book, well, it was a total misrepresentation. Well, you know, you have to remember that this is Lucille Ball. And so she wanted to make the great American sitcom. and But this one was going to be on steroids. And she did that. And it, it was a very successful film. It was the fourth highest grossing film of 1968, and Lucille Ball won a Golden Globe for her her role as Helen North Beardsley. So it was very heartwarming, it was very funny, and it was very entertaining. It just was 180 degrees the opposite from what we were experiencing in the Beardsley household. Uh, which was the, the, the problem we ran into was that Frank Beardsley was psychotic and he was dangerous to be around and we never knew who his next victim was going to be. My mother married him because she wanted to save his children from him and she wanted to save him from himself. And, wow. uh, and what she did is she took her own eight children into a very dangerous environment and she lost control of it. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that she would do that to try to, to, to save other children uh, who she didn't even know, uh, having eight of her own and no other support. That, that's, a he- that's a very heavy decision to make. It really that's- leaves one scratching one's head because it seems obvious to us in retrospect looking back and and the question that comes to mind is what was she thinking and and yet she was a woman of her generation she was born in 1930 she spent her formative years in the depression 
which was followed by World War II. And so she spent her entire early life in a, in a mode of self-sacrifice. And so when she met this man, Frank Beardsley, the first thing she thought of was, well, I have to fix this situation and I will sacrifice whatever it takes in order to do so. Did you ever have a conversation in private with your mother as to what propelled her to put herself in this situation and lose the control? Because you're yes. strong, and I, I and I think your strength came from. This is my take. I think your strength came from the the environment that you endured as a child growing up in that household. And I would agree with you completely on that. Uh, to answer your first question, which was, um, did I ever have a conversation with her in private? And I, I did. And and what she told me was that she, when she met Frank Beardsley's children, she saw ten children living in abject terror for their lives. And she thought, I just cannot abandon these children to this man. He'll kill them. And so she decided to step in and remedy the situation. Uh, keep in mind that, that she grew up in an Irish Catholic family, uh, Irish-German Catholic family, and again, she was a, 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 a model of self-sacrifice. And so I think of her as a martyr. This was a very popular role to take on at the time, was the, the martyr role, especially in the Catholic Church. And so she was uh, a prime candidate to do that. Well, God bless her. Is your mom still with us? She passed in the year 2000, and, uh, and I write about that uh, in, the, in uh, True North, The Shocking Truth About Yours, Mine, and Ours. And uh, it's an uh, interesting chapter at the end of the book. Well, I, like I said, I am enjoying the book, and I intend to finish the book, and I highly recommend it to my listeners uh, that they obtain the book True North uh, by Tom North. Um, but going back to the story, and then we'll g give out some contact information, Tom, during the show, how they can get the book and whatnot. But uh, going back... Did, did Lucille Ball ever realize the true essence of the family situation? When, when Lucille, great questions, uh, Stephanie. And, and what happened is that when Lucille Ball came to Carmel, California, where we were living, and came to visit the family and get a feeling for the character that she was going to play in the film, very shortly after she met my mother and Frank Beardsley, she took my mother aside and she said, in a very admonishing tone, she said, you keep that man away from me. And my mother shared that with me later in life. But Lucy picked up right away on his energy and wanted nothing to do with him. She saw what was happening in the household she spent some time around the children. She saw that they were experiencing a, basically a traumatic stress disorder and realized that there was nothing she could do about it. She had her objective, which was to make this movie, and she came and she gathered the information she needed and she went back to Hollywood. And how did this affect you? You were, you were a kid when all this was going on. Yes. Now, uh, the, the film wasn't made and, and released. It wasn't started until 1965. She had the idea for the movie in 1961, shortly uh, after my mother married Frank Beardsley. But she was involved with the Broadway portion of her career at that time. And so they didn't begin filming until 1965, and the film didn't come out until 1968. And so, so the way it affected the way it affected me is that it was it it drove me crazy because here was this wonderful film that became the template for public expectations. We were 
we were expected to support the fantasy of yours, mine, and ours, and we were threatened with with the, uh, physical punishment if we were to let anyone know what was actually going on in the household. Oh, I guess by Mr. Beardsley. That's correct. And my mother wanted desperately to support the image that was created by the film. And so she had this wonderful support system involving Lucille Ball, what could be better? And so she was attempting to mask what was happening in the household with the public image created by the film, and she was just bound and determined to 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 carry on that image. Um, I, I see your mother as a saint. Well, that's a very interesting perspective, Stephanie. There was that definite desire to do the right thing, but as my mother always told me, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And as I write in the book, she laid quite a few paving stones of her own on the way to her own personal hell. Would you like to share with us some of the some of the the hell, if you will, that was endured in the household um, uh, by the children, by your mother? Well. You know, the, the, the problem was is that Frank Beardsley was, in the words of my younger sister, he was an ultra-violent, alcoholic, misogynistic pedophile. And oh, my. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty bad combination of words, but that describes him quite well. And the example that I like to give is that I would come around a corner in the hallway and run smack dab into him not knowing what I was going to experience. And uh, there, the first couple of times that happened, he just knocked me across the room, and I got up and said, what was that for? And he said, just for drill. And that was the kind of person he was. And, and, and nobody ever reported him. He, he never... Uh, he never faced punishment for anything that he has done? No, and, and what happened is that it, during the 1960s, the role of the father was unquestioned. And what happened is that my, two of my sisters and I went to the local Catholic church after a particularly harrowing experience, and the local parish priest met us at the door to the rectory and, and we told him what was happening and asked for his help. And he looked down at me and he said, I'm all of about 10 years old at this time. And he looked down at me and he said, Tommy, he said, I want you to go back and apologize to your father for saying bad things about him. And I said, he's not my father. And the priest looked down at me and smiled and he said, of course he is. Because people at that time were so so committed to, rather than the truth, they were committed to the role that they play in society. And so the priest looked at me and said, I want to see you in confession on Saturday, young man, to confess these sins of calumny. And calumny is saying something bad about a person who is in a position of authority. So we left knowing that there was no one who was going to help us. You know, I hope if that priest is still on this plane, you should mail him a copy of your book. <laughs> you know, he's, he was in his 50s at the time. He would have to be about 110 years old today, so I don't think he's with us any longer. Wow. So this must, all of this must have had a tremendous impact on you. It's amazing you are as sane as you are. What happened the very next day is when I came home from school, I came into the house and I passed my mother who was at her, her therapy station, which was the ironing board 
that's what she did for silent time is she ironed and she i was walking by and i said hi mom and and she said thomas come here and i knew i was in trouble so i walked over and i said yeah mom and she said i have never been so embarrassed in my life as when i received a phone call this morning from father dudenay she said if you ever tell anyone what happens in this house it will be the last thing you ever do now get out of my sight and i said but mom and she said don't but mom me get out of here and that was that was my mother and i didn't uh, just the first few chapters that i've already read i did i wouldn't have figured her to be that way uh, because she was such a loving mother she and a loving wife, and she loved your father very, very much. It was like they were the um, romance story uh, that every man and woman dreams of, the, the perfect marriage that was unfortunately cut short due to the untimely death of your father. But all, all of this must have had a heck of an impact on you as a kid. Oh. Yeah, and it had an impact on her as well. I think she really just imploded when he died. Uh, It was, as you say, a loving relationship. And, you know, we North children experienced a household that was filled with laughter and fun. Our parents played with us all the time. And there was lots of, of hugging and kissing in the household. And it was really an idyllic childhood for the first six years of my life. And when he died, leaving my mother with seven children and one on the way, uh, it was just so devastating to her. She just imploded and really never recovered. And so... How did it end with your mother and Beardsley? So what happened there is that she did her best to run interference for us children for many years. But the toll of the responsibility of caring for 20 children just was devastating to her. And she was, she was depressed going into this experience and the the burden of dealing with Frank Beardsley and supporting all of these children was just too much for her. It would it would have required superhuman strength for anyone to do that, and she was already at a disadvantage. So at a, at a certain point, she stopped running interference for us, and in fact, she began feeding us to Frank Beardsley in order to save herself. She, she Say that again, please. She, kept, she, she, she began feeding the children to Frank Beardsley in order to save herself from his her. violence and abuse. So then there was more abuse uh, uh, on the children. And that carried on until every one of us was thoroughly abused until we left the house after high school. And in fact, it got so bad that she began to farm out the children as they reached the ages of 13 and 14, especially the girls, because of the sexual abuse that he submitted them to. Oh, my God. So what, is, is, did he ever, was he ever brought up on charges? Did, any, did anything happen to him? No, what happened, what happened is, is that uh, my mother was so concerned about the public image of the family that she never said a thing. She was so concerned that she just promoted that public image of the, of the Beardsley family and promoted the image of yours, mine, and ours until we were all gone. And... <laughs> Fed more and more into his uh, his illness, more into his psychopathic uh, uh, issues. That's correct. And what happened at, at one point in time uh, is that 
is that after the family therapy sessions, uh, which is chapter 26 and 27 of the book, uh, she her health was was declining and and dramatically so. And I went to her and I said, Mom, I said, you know, I'm going to tell you my perception of this, and that is that every night you get into bed with the man who beat your sons and molested your daughters. And that's an extremely toxic formula, and it's killing you. And I said, if you stay with him, you're going to die. And if you die, you will leave him. Your alternative is to leave him now and try and make sense out of whatever the rest of your life looks like. Either way, you will leave him. So it's your choice how you orchestrate that. And she looked at me and she said, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, this conversation is over. And because her health was in such uh, decline, she went to visit her sister, who was very wealthy and could, could get the, the best medical attention for her that money could buy. And her sister, without any contact with me at all, told her exactly the same thing. And so she called me from her sister's home and said, you were the first one to mention this to me. I'm telling you now I'm leaving Frank. And so for the next 10 years, she lived on her own. Well, thank God for that. And it, it, where is he gone now? Did he pass? He passed at the age of 97 in December of 2012. Wow, he lived a long life. Well, well I don't want to go down that road because yeah, I, no, I, you I don't. Please don't. Please don't. He, he's he's down. He's not up. <laughs> yeah. But you know, um, Tom, we're going to take a very short break, and we'll be right back. Uh, so please, uh, uh, listeners, don't go away because uh, we have another uh, half hour of listening to Tom tell this uh, story, and I would like to get into the part about your inspiration and, and how you are helping those who are uh, finding themselves in situations of domestic violence and child abuse. So you are listening to Stephanie Tippy, Aging Younger Radio. We will be right back. Look your best safely without surgery. We offer non-surgical facelift treatments complete with professional skincare products utilizing magical copper. The anti-aging clinic shows you weight management and body contouring, all safe and non-invasive. Turn back the hands of time with Growth Factor Spray. Antioxidants are our first line of defense against aging. Our professionals can scientifically verify if your vitamins are working with new laser technology. Get your score by calling today. younger is a way of life. When you understand that, good health and longevity will follow. The brain and endocrine system control your body, including things like weight gain. When your hormones are out of balance, your body cannot function properly. Call the Anti-Aging Clinic and begin to age younger today. Call 954-742-4430. That's 954-742-4430. We are back. This is Stephanie Tippy, Aging on the Radio with Tom North. He is the author of uh, True North, the uh, story of yours, mine, and ours. Uh, Tom, thank you for being with us. Um, you know, even though many people might not see tonight's topic as health-related, whereas I see it differently because a healthy body is one that has the body, mind, and spirit all connected and all in one. And going through such abuse that you as children did and your mother did, it, 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 there is no balance. In, in within the spirit or the mind, which leads me to bring you to the next question, Tom, how you were able to bring your family to therapy and, and get out of that situation. Well, I had been, for the younger children, I'm number 11 in the, the line of 20 children, and I saw that the little kids weren't going to get the kind of parental attention that they needed 
And so I became a notes to myself, their surrogate father, and I took them to the beach, I took them to the river and taught them how to fish and took them camping. And this was uh, something I just felt needed to be done. Um, during my teen years, I was a wreck. I engaged in recreational drugs as a form of self-medication, and I went into a deep, deep depression. And when I was 22 years old, a friend of mine introduced me to Transcendental Meditation, also known as TM. And so I began practicing TM, and that was the beginning of my recovery as a human being. And I began, began to come out of that depression, and I was, I was able to really start releasing some of those terrible stresses that were, uh, as you so well, well expressed, locked in my body. Um, what happened as far as the, fa the family therapy session is concerned is that uh, because I had been sort of the family organizer uh, and a leader, uh, my younger brother called me and said that he was a mess and he really needed help. And three different therapists had told him that his issues arose in a family context and they needed to be resolved in a family context and would I help him put together a family therapy session. And I said, do you realize the scale of what you're trying to suggest here? And he said, you're going to help me or not? And my response was, I wouldn't miss this for the world. And so I, I structured it, I put it together, and it was nothing short of epic. It was fantastic. That's, a, that's, that's great. So it was all 20 of you, or it was just the North kids? What happened, uh, Stephanie, is that the first session, there were eight people who showed up from both sides of the family, the North and the Beardsleys, and it was so productive that we went 10 hours on a Saturday and we went 10 hours on the following Sunday and we were so excited about the progress that we were making, we decided to do it again. And the following month, we scheduled another one and to this one, 14 family members came. And we went 10 hours on Saturday and 10 hours on Sunday. And it was so productive, we decided to do it again. And so in the third month, uh, those same 14 people came back, but also my mother came. And so she got so much out of it on the Saturday for 10 hours that she said, I'm going to bring Frank tomorrow. He needs to hear this. And he actually came. Oh, wow. Yeah. And did, 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 did he change? Well, he had his moment, and I write about this in the book in the sections on the family therapy section, uh, session where he did actually apologize to the family. And uh, so for a moment, he had a breakthrough, but then he regressed immediately after that and uh, became as bad as ever. So, well, he, was, he probably needed a lot of psychiatric help but, you know, you're an advocate uh, for child abuse and domestic violence. Um, what do you do? How, how, how are you, the book is number one. And, but let's get, people can find the book on Amazon. Is there any way they can get a signed copy? Yes, they can get a signed copy if they buy it on my website. And if they do buy the, the True North, The Shocking Truth of Yours, Mine, and Ours on the website, I will send them a signed copy and 10% of the proceeds of sale of the book will go to CASA, which is Court Appointed Special Advocates for Children. Now that's and CASA, are you familiar with CASA? Well, I knew a CASA when I was teaching English as a second language in CASA for CASA in Hempstead, New York years ago, but not what you're telling me, not your CASA. But that's in, a beautiful thing. Stephanie, Stephanie, in Florida, I believe they are referred to as guardian ad litem. Okay. And, and so this is an organization that helps children who, because of domestic violence and child abuse, find themselves in the foster care system. 
And so these organizations advocate for children, and they're uh, wonderful, wonderful volunteers, and they do fabulous work. So, Tom, what is the website? Is it True North by TomNorth.com? Yes, ma'am. That's exactly. So, for all the listeners out there who would like to help and read this inspiring story by Tom North, please go to True North by TomNorth.com, purchase his book, and uh, you will receive a signed copy. Not only that, what he just said, 10% of the proceeds will go to the organizations that do support uh, children, uh, foster care children and uh, domestic violence uh, children. And I think that's a wonderful thing that you can do, Tom. So from my heart to yours, God bless. Thank you. Thank you. You know, if I might say, um, in the public speaking engagements that I have done since the book was published last year, uh, it's common for people to come up to me and to say, you know, I've struggled with my emotions around my childhood, my entire adult life, and finally you've given me a voice I never had. And that, I have to tell you, is extremely rewarding. Of course it is. Uh, you know, I, I'm, what, I'm wondering, have any of those young men in the Catholic Church who have been abused by some of the, the priests, have any of them reached out to you? You know, I haven't heard of, of them. I've just heard of, from a lot of people uh, who have been abused in their own childhood. Actually, two of them were cousins, uh, or I should say nieces, of Frank Beardsley. And they approached me when I launched the book and said, thank you so much for writing this book. This is not about you, Tom. This is about all of us. And so I was really, really touched by that. So... As a motivational speaker, which you are, besides being an author, you are a motivational speaker, what, uh, who do you target your groups to? Who do you usually speak for? Corporations, families, churches? Well, I, I do speak to family support organizations uh, like CASA. I have spoken to Rotary Clubs and other service clubs like them. Uh, and uh, I will. I have had corporations approach me to speak to them, and so I'm speaking more and more as time goes on. Uh, but I will speak to anyone who needs the help. Uh, I've been doing some some shows for the the TM organization, and mm-hmm. uh, I hope to do some more of that. Uh, and so I'm uh, I'm willing to talk with any organization that uh, that uh, would like to have me talk to them. That's that's wonderful. And, and do you bring up, do you bring into your uh, motivational speak uh, speeches and um, do you bring up transcendental meditation and its powerful effects? Do you talk about well, that? Well, I do that in the context of the book because it has been such a help to me, and it's been a help to a lot of people, in fact, about 6 million people in the United States alone. And it's just a wonderful technique. I still do my 20 minutes twice a day of TM, and uh, I just highly recommend it to everyone as a stress management technique as well as a personal growth uh, methodology. And I, I believe it's, it's a very great form of self-healing. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, I would like it, to address a, a point you brought up earlier, Stephanie, and we didn't have a chance to get to it. Hopefully we can cover it now. And you were talking about the balance that's necessary between mind, body, and spirit. Correct. So, so there was an interesting study released Uh, not long ago by the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta in conjunction with Kaiser Permanente Hospitals. And it's called the ACE study. And the ACE stands for Adverse Childhood Experience. And they studied over 15,000 recipients of government-sponsored health care to find out 
what their childhood experience was. And what they found was they had 12 different experiences that they identified which were detrimental to uh, childhood, early childhood development. And when they, what they found was is that for people who were of 40 years of age or older and had three or more ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, the incidence of adult onset, onset chronic disease was 100%. Bingo. There's your body, mind, body, spirit connection. There it is. That's exactly what you were talking about. Exactly. And, and, and it's all of, no matter how much people can read or listen, unless they start to feel from inside the balance, they have to want that balance bad enough and they have to learn to love themselves first before that I believe they can really uh, heal. So and you're I so can... right. And so what's required is to unload many of those adverse childhood experiences and what I call the emotionally charged memories associated with them. So do you do you do you do, you do workshops? Do, do you? I see you going around the country doing workshops and helping people, bringing them together, where like a group therapy. I know you're not a therapist, but you don't have to call yourself a therapist. But you know how to guide the people based on your own experiences. You can very easily. I can see it and I can hear it in your voice, Tom you can very easily guide them through the self-healing. Well, thank you for saying so. Uh, like you said, I'm not a licensed therapist, and I really don't have the credentials to do that sort of thing. If I were to, and I haven't done any workshops like that, but if I were to do so, I would probably bring in uh, professionals to handle that sort of thing. Uh, who knows that we may go in that direction. Thank you for the suggestion. You're welcome. I, it's just a thought that popped into my head because I, I believe you would be very successful in helping these troubled souls because that's what these people are troubled souls. You yourself were you were a troubled soul. You 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 admitted to taking recreational drugs that you were very despondent and you went through a bad time of depression. And thank God you were strong enough to pull yourself out of that downward spiral and start going upward where you could then lead the rest of your family with you. So that's why I see what I I feel what I feel. Yeah, and I think I think you're on to something there. I'm going to have to give that a, a little more thought uh, because I can see that happening, and that would be a wonderful thing. Well, I, I'm, I've been told I'm highly intuitive, so maybe let me know. Let me know when it happens. I'd like to go now, to one of your workshops and watch you in action. From from your lips to uh, to the ears of my guidance system. How, uh, the world's guidance system. We all. Yes. It's, we. You know what, Tom? I, I really believe we are all one. And the first step to self-healing, and this is, I believe, this is connectedness to realize that we are all connected. And once we take that, as we are. Yes. Yes. And then it's easier to transition into the modes, the different steps of healing. Then the willingness starts to take effect and, and the openness. So we're all connected. But I have to we ask are. this. I'm curious because you're not only an author, but, okay, you're a poet. That's also being an author. But it says you're an adventurer and a financial advisor. Uh, I'd like to start with the adventurer because I'm an adventurer and I've traveled most of, uh, since I'm 17, I've been traveling all over the world. So what type of an adventurer are you? Well, I do love travel. My wife and I have, have like yourself, traveled uh, mostly in uh, Europe and, and uh, South America and, you know, the, the Western Hemisphere, if you will. I, we haven't been to the Far East yet, which we, we still have on our to-do list. 
but I've been a, a scuba diver and fisherman all of my life. So I've been all over the world uh, scuba diving and, and fishing. And, uh, and we live in a very dramatic area. The California coastline uh, is a, a wonderful place to live. And I, we live uh, just about 70 miles north of a place called uh, Big Sur, and there's a place called Jade Cove there, where Jade literally runs from the cliffside out into the ocean. And Jade, so it breaks. J-A-D-E? Jade, the, the semi-precious stone. Yeah, Jade, that's what I said. Uh, really, it runs into the coastline. It runs from the coastline out into the ocean, and the big winter waves break it off and tumble it in the shoreline. And so those of us who are inclined to do so go down there and we, we scuba dive for the jade and uh, polish it and, and make jewelry and all kinds of things like that. So I've been doing that most of my adult life. How lovely, how lovely. And like parallel, paralleling to you, I've traveled extensively throughout South America. and My first trip was as a, an exchange student to Honduras at the age of 17 as an exchange student. But I even lived two years in Colombia and... Uh, it's it's just a, the continent of South America is incredibly beautiful, and the culture is uh, just uh, something so different and so warm. I I can't say enough about the uh, the experiences that I've had over there. But um, and then what about your financial advisor? I mean, when do you find time to do that? Well, that came first actually, and I've been a financial advisor for 34 years. So I still maintain a clientele, and uh, and so it was. In fact, uh, when I wrote True North, the shocking truth about yours, mine, and ours, it was on uh, you know Saturday and Sundays and and holidays and evenings and mornings uh, before I went to work and when I came home. Well, you live you live a very very uh, interesting life and a very. Um busy life, but a good busy life. Well, I, I am busy now actually writing my next book, uh, which the working title of it is The Economics of Spiritual Transformation. Wow. The Economics of Spiritual Transformation. Oh, just run that by me a little. Okay. A little bit. Uh, every, everyone gets a quizzical look on their face when I share that with them. Uh, and I can see yours right now. Uh, but basically the idea is, is that when we think about economics, we think about the interaction among large systems like countries and states and big corporations and so on. And so when we think about microeconomics, we think about how to balance your checkbook and run your household and so on. But there's another level of that, and we could call that nanoeconomics, which is how we manage our own personal energy. And I'm sure you're familiar with the chakra system. Yes. Of, yes, of energy centers in the body. And so this is really an analysis of how we express ourselves through the chakra system. There's also another system of, of uh, structures within consciousness that comes from the Vedas. And the Vedas are a very old body of knowledge from India. And uh, there's a section in the Vedas called the Upanishads. And the, the Upanishads delineate how we structure consciousness through our emotions, through our ego, through our intellect, and so on. And so I'm combining the two of those uh, in a format that will be understandable and uh, and that's the economics of spiritual transformation. So when that book is finished, please send me a copy, and we will do another interview. I'll look forward to it. Yeah, I'd love to have you on the show. This has been a great interview, I think. I, I've Thanks. enjoyed uh, talking with you so very much. Thank you. You're very welcome. So... 
again, I, I, I want to, you know, the, the point of this interview, too, is to awaken the consciousness of other people out there so that they would like to help your endeavors with uh, supporting the the CASA for Children, the, the National CASA for Children, and they can do that by going to your website and purchasing your book. And again, I'm going to say what your website is, True North, N-O-R-T-H, by TomNorth.com, and you promised to send out a signed copy of your book, correct? That's correct. And 10% of the proceeds will go to CASA, to help those children who are in need of uh, emotional, spiritual, and financial assistance, again, to bring them back into homeostasis of the mind, body, and spirit. And uh, I'm hoping that this radio show will assist uh, with the sale of your book to help uh, the CASA and the children out there. And to let you know, the link to this show that you have already will be archived, so you can use that and put it on your website, Tom, and people, you can uh, direct people to listen to this uh, interview, because in a way, it's a trailer to your book. Thank you, and, and we do that. This, uh, this link to your radio show will be up on the website, truenorthbytomnorth.com, uh, within just a few days. Wonderful. As soon as the- Go ahead. I'm sorry. What were you going to say? It was. It's going to be. Oh, I was just going to say as soon as the book, as soon as the uh, radio show is made available to us, we will upload it onto the website. Well, it is available to you as as we're speaking. Okay. Oh, great. Uh, Your publicist has the link. Okay. I sent it to her, and uh, all you have to do is uh, it's on demand as as we. Once we finish this interview, it's out there in Cyberland forever. Great, great. That's the beauty of Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, it's a, that's Barbara. That's Barbara, and she'll be uploading that right away. Awesome, awesome. You know, we have seven minutes, and I'd like to give those seven minutes to you to talk about what you want to talk about. Well, thank you. You know, one of the things that is really important when I give presentations uh, is to remind people that um, we are all, as you said earlier, all connected. And we have far more in common than that which differentiates us. And so people are shocked sometimes that I wrote this book, which is very disclosing, and people think, oh, how can you tell, say those things about your family? And, and how can you write about such difficult things? And what I share with them is that we are all connected and more, unfortunately, more people have had difficult childhood experiences than those that haven't. And so if we can recognize our connection, it will go a long way towards relieving some of the guilt and the shame that people carry from their childhoods. And they will realize that they're not alone. None of us are alone. All we have to do is reach out and we will find a a willing hand to help us along. And that's such a critically important thing to recognize is that we are not alone. And, no and there's lots of people out there to help us. And you know what I believe, Tom, when that happens, when when people realize and, and come forth and start sharing and opening up, that's when they their light will start shining through. And that's when they will start seeing that they are their own divine because we are all we are all one with divine. We and are. We all, Go ahead. And we all have our own inner, our own light shines right through. We just have to allow it to shine through. And the first step, like we just dis- discussed, is the connectedness and then the self-love. It, you're so, so, so right. You know, there's a poem that I wrote that's in the book, 
and I'd like to share it with your listeners if, if we have enough time. It's not that long. No, please, read it. And it speaks exactly to what you were just saying, and the poem goes like this. Within each of us there is a light, a light that shines eternal. It is the light of the rising sun. It is the light of the full moon. It is the light of the stars in the darkest night. It is the light in a mother's eyes gleaming at her newborn. It is the light between lovers as they embrace. It is the light in the path of souls on their journey to the other side. It is the light of love. It is the light of being. It is the light of God. See the light. Be the light. Shine the light for all to see. That's beautiful. You wrote that? Well, that I, I don't really lay ownership to it. It was given to me during a meditation. And all I could hope for at the, the time was that it was still there when I opened my eyes. And it was, so I wrote it down. And it was a gift to me. Well, it was a gift so that you can share to the world what you are doing now so beautifully, so eloquently through your book and through your interviews and 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 through your own voice. Um, you have a very calming voice. Very Thank nice. Thank you. You're welcome. You're, you're very very welcome. So that again, how do how do I tell people that this book is great? I I intend to finish it because it, it's very captivating. Uh, anybody who could live the way you and endure how the lifestyle that you did growing up and come out as sane and as intelligent and as well spoken and well written as you are is amazing. Well, it's just a matter of being on that path of spiritual growth and knowing that we take one day at a time, and that's all we can do. Tom, do you agree with this, that right now there is a collective consciousness about us and that the vibrations of this planet are, are, are on a different plane, and all the people who are supposed to be together are coming together, i.e. you, me, on this interview, as one little um, example? Stephanie, that is a topic that is so close to my heart, and I would love to do another radio show with you so that we could talk about just that, because I've, I've been working on that very subject uh, and conducting a poll uh, of people because the collective consciousness of humanity is in transformation as we speak. And uh, so this is a topic that I'm very excited about. So then what, ask Barbara to get in touch with me and, and, then let, and then you and I, we need to do a conversation offline. Uh, I'll look forward to it. Okay, because it's a, very, it's a subject that's very near and dear to me as well because I, I, I'm feeling it, and it's amazing. I could be in a car, and I'm driving, and sometimes I feel like everything is moving so slowly. All the, <laughs> cars, all the cars around me driving past me are moving so slowly because I, my body, my vibration is so much faster. It, yes, it's, it's accelerated. Very, yes, and it's a, just a very different feeling and i we're going to have to uh bring this up in another interview because we are down to 60 seconds so again it's tom north uh the author of the yours mine and ours story the shocking story about yours mine and ours and you can find it online at his website for a signed copy, True North by TomNorth.com. And again, remember, 10% of the proceeds will go to CASA, a national foundation for abused children. Uh, Tom, thank you so very much for sharing with Aging Younger Radio. I enjoyed having you, and I do look forward to follow-up conversations, and let's do another show real soon. Until then, thank you all for being with us, and we will be back next, time, next week. 
same time, same place here, Aging Younger Radio. Uh, have a good one, and a have, have a healthy, happy week. You've been listening to Aging Younger with David and Stephanie Tippy. You've just heard that alternatives to the sickness industry are alive and well, helping you to age younger. The Anti-Aging Clinic is located at 7200 West Commercial Boulevard in Lauderhill, Florida. You can reach David and Stephanie at 954-742-4430. That phone number again is 954-742-4430. And you can learn more about them on their website, LiveLonger123.com. Join us every Wednesday and Friday at 1 o'clock for Aging Younger on 1040 WLVJ.